Well, it's an honor to be here. Got a, a long and wonderful relationship with Reliance Church, and so it's a real privilege to be able to, to be here. Um, as you may have noticed, I'm actually not from Ireland originally. Um, I grew up in Fallbrook, uh, but I've been... Um, Myself and my wife, uh, Rachel, we've been living in Ireland for nearly 15 years uh, at this point. So we are, um, we're dual citizens, and um, yeah, God has been using us to replant and to reestablish a church called uh, Calvary Cork. Um, I'd love to tell you a little bit um, about, about the church and my life a little bit, so you know who it is that's talking to you, and then um, we'll get into uh, scripture together. So um, I was actually scheduled to preach here at Reliance, I think in June of uh, 2017. Um, I was uh, doing a workshop at the Calvary Pastors Conference in Costa Mesa, and then as um, Pastor Ted often does, he just kind of grabs you and kind of <laughs> says, he, he voluntold me um, that... <laughs> Um, I was going to come uh, preach here uh, in June. And so I was like, yeah, I'd love to. That's great. And um, uh, anyway, during the, the conference, um, I did one workshop, and then I woke up early the next morning and went for a run. And while I was uh, jogging for my health, um, I was uh, struck by a car uh, going 45 miles per hour, and I think my head went through the windshield, and I was thrown 30 feet and uh, long story short, I wasn't able to make my preaching obligation um, for reliance. And so now I'm trying to make up for it, and I'm trying to come. Uh, but no, that was, a, that was definitely a, a low point of 2017. Um, I was, uh, my, my wife and I and our, our two kids, and she was uh, pregnant with our third at that time, um, we weren't able to leave America because uh, a head injury, you're not allowed to fly. And so I was just kind of stuck. In, uh, in, in town for about two months, and uh, it was nice to just come and just attend Reliance. It was a, a really, really good time and just some good, good words. And I remember there was people, especially after third service, I think, that just had really kind words that I, that I treasure to this day. So thanks, third service. I, I forget. That's the thing about a head injury. I forgot who you were, <laughs> but someone said something really nice after third service. So if that's you, thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, that was maybe one of the, one of the low points of 2017, but, um, you know, after surviving that, that was great. Uh, eventually, coming back to Cork, um, my wife uh, giving birth to our, our third child, um, Finn. I think there's a picture. Um, yeah, so that's my, my, my two redheads and my one dark-haired kid. Um, so Finn, Finn took after me, whereas the other ones um, took, out, took after my wife, Rachel. But so um, Finn was born. That was great. Um, our church building, um, our landlord, you know, basically told me one day, um, I know we have more time uh, kind of budgeted or what's the word? contractually obligated or whatever. But he said, yeah, but I want you out anyway. <laughs> and so um, kind of not, not kicked out, like we weren't kicked out in the course of a week, but that was terminated. And so our, our arrangement was terminated. And so went from like almost dying and then, you know, coming, coming, crawling back to health to then coming back home finally. And then you're kicked out of your church building. And then we started the long process of looking for um, new facilities. We were told no by 23 landlords. Um, churches like ours are kind of looked at as like a cult or um, not really reputable. 
and so a lot of people didn't want anything to do with us. Um, but we've actually moved into a, uh, a high school, a uh, high school gym, much like this. And so I think there's a picture, yeah, so that's kind of a glimpse of um, our little version of Reliance um, over, over in Ireland. So those are some of the things, I think there's a picture of my wife somewhere too. Yeah, there she is. Isn't she beautiful? Um, so that's my wife, Rachel. Okay. So that was just a crazy 2017. And so I've really been hoping and praying for just like a nice, boring 2018. Because um, I had all the excitement that, uh, that I could muster. So I was going to preach this morning. I, have this, um, I had this, this killer sermon uh, about... Uh, the life of St. Patrick and the story behind that and what we as contemporary Christians can learn from our older ancient brother in the faith. And uh, I was looking forward to that, had it printed, had my slides. And then I came here for the leader's prayer at 5.30 this morning. And uh, it was a great time, glad to pray. And then as I was praying, I felt this nudge from the Lord, and I think he was saying that that's not what I'm supposed to be preaching today. And um, as I was just kind of overhearing people pray, um, these kind of just themes came up in me, and it just seemed that, that the Lord would have something distinct um, from you, um, for, sorry, from head injury, um, to have something distinct for you today. And so I hope you pay attention, and I hope you, you come to church every Sunday ready to hear from the Lord. But Today, maybe especially, because there's something like freshly cooked up just for you uh, today. And first service and second service, I've had people come up and say, you know, that was so timely. And the way that God works, I know this for third service as well, too. So very briefly, in one sentence, I was going to say that St. Patrick's Day is just a wonderful annual remember, reminder that God cares about non-Christian people. And that God used an uneducated, untrained man named Patrick, and he used him. First, he saved him, then he used him to bring the good news of Jesus to people who needed to hear it, okay? That's the sermon in a sentence, okay? Now, anyway, here's today's sermon. Why don't you open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12? Nehemiah 11 and 12. And so the title of this message is Forget Me Not. And it's lessons from chapter 11 and 12. Um, So I I came to California for a few different reasons. Also, if you're looking for Nehemiah, like look for for the book of Psalms. It's right in the middle. And then go left a little bit. It's a few books before the book of Psalms. So there's a few different reasons why I came to California this trip. Um, First was for that conference that Ted and I were a part of. And I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But... um, Primarily, I would say, um, I came to spend time with my mom. My mom has uh, what looks like some kind of early onset um, Alzheimer's type thing. Um, again, diagnoses are kind of hard, but essentially I've been, you know, one of my mom's like primary caregivers for the past week. And it is uh, it's bittersweet, you know, and I'm sure some of you might know exactly what I'm talking about and some of you can, can imagine, but I'm here and I've been here, on the one hand, to, to make new memories, you know, and to, to spend time uh, with, with my mom. And then also there's these ongoing realizations about the, the memories that did exist, well, they're all just kind of mixed up, or there's kind of, they're kind of taken from her, you know? So I've been thinking a lot about um, forgetfulness. I've been thinking a lot about memories and the things that I hope that I never forget. And, and so kind of with, with that 
we're going to be looking at chapter 11 and 12, and, and those really have to do with um, the, the remembrance of God and the things that God never forgets, and then also the things that, that we, his people, are never to forget as well. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll begin looking at these, uh, these passages, okay? So Father, you are alive and well, and I Thank you that every song that we sang was full of words that are true, Lord. There was no lies in them. Um, we want to, to praise your name forever. And I pray that as we um, look at some truths and some concepts and some, what I believe are very timely reminders to us today about forgetfulness and remembrance, um, Holy Spirit, would you, would you do what you do? Would you um, apply truth to hearts, Lord, and would you... Would you change us from, from the inside out? Would you stir things up in us that myself or any teacher or preacher were unable to do just with um, rhetorical skills or ability? But Holy Spirit, you and you alone have access to the, the secret things of our hearts. And so um, I just deliberately and consciously ask for your help, Lord. I know that the people here, we don't want to waste our time. This is not here. We're not just doing this out of duty, but I pray that we'd have an encounter with you today through your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as your Bibles or are your apps open to Nehemiah 11 and 12, um, I just want to put this picture um, up on the screen and then ask you, this is the first of many interactive parts today. Just, I heard this terrible rumor that like third service doesn't, doesn't like talk much, but like you're going to prove me wrong. Okay, so what, oh. Picture up there, please. <laughs> What's this? It is a boat. The Titanic, yeah, specifically, what boat? Yeah, so it's, it's the Titanic, yeah. So the RMHS Titanic. And this is an interesting picture of an interesting boat. I think culturally we all have this, we all know a bit about this boat. Um, here's something else about this unique picture. Um, this is the last picture taken of the Titanic, so that maybe makes it even, even more interesting that this is the last photo that anyone has ever taken of, of this great and doomed uh, ship that we call the Titanic. Um, what's even more interesting to, to me is, is that this picture is taken um, from Cork, um, the city where I live. Uh, this is taken from Cork. It's the last photo of, of the Titanic. And so um, maybe as some of you know, the Titanic was constructed in Northern Ireland, up in Belfast, and then it was shipped over to England, or the UK, which is just next door. And then it kind of loaded up with all the, the aristocrats and the wealthy people and the, the people from mainland Europe and the people from Britain. And, and then they began their journey transatlantic journey to the east coast of the United States. And as they, they had their big farewell, uh, they passed by Ireland, and they stopped at Cork, at, again, my, my city, and they, they picked up a few more people and some supplies, and then they began their journey uh, over to the U.S. And so that's, that's interesting. And the, the next picture that we'll look at um, shows uh, the Titanic's passenger list. And so this looks like just a list, a dry list of names 
Uh, but it doesn't seem that boring once we kind of have a bit of context for it. Uh, we see these are names, and each of these names has a story behind it, and each of these names are connected to a real life and to real families. And, and then for me, as someone who, you know, is a, a cork person, not by birth, but by 15 years of living there, um, I, I see it's like, man, I know people with that surname. You know, I, I know possibly relatives of these. And then it would have addresses too. And it's like, I've been on that street before. Or I, I know where that is. So for me, it's a list of names. But I realize those are real lives connected to real people. And then it has connection to, to my city. And with that in mind, we're going to look at Nehemiah 11 and 12. And so if you just kind of glance over it or scroll through it on your app, you'll see that... It's a list of names, okay? I'm not going to lie. It's a list of names. But I would say that as we get into it, we're going to know that these are real people with real lives and real families, and also it has real links and real significance to you on March 18th of 2018 in this auditorium for third service. So that's, that's something that we should really remember. And as we look at these themes, these ideas, the, the big picture and to summarize it in one sentence, is that God does not forget the work of his people, and God's people do not forget the work of their God. That's, that's the big idea. So if you're going to take notes, if you're only going to take one sentence worth of notes, there it is, okay? That's the most mo- important thing. Everything I say is going to branch off of that collection of those, those big ideas. God doesn't forget his people, and God's people don't forget the work of their God. And so, as I mentioned, um, the book of Nehemiah, it's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. Um, But chronologically, um, the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, kind of its little twinsies um, uh, book, they actually belong at the very end of the Old Testament, chronologically. Um, They are what's called post-exilic books, which means that they took place after the time period known as the exile. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But so if you were to line the Bible up chronologically, Nehemiah would be right next to or right on top of um, Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi, those last three books of the Old Testament. So he's kind of a a post-exilic time history. And so what's the exile? Well, I'd love to tell you about that. Thanks for asking. So the, the exile was this period when after prophet after prophet was sent to the people of Israel, saying essentially, you know, you need to repent. You need to turn your hearts and your lives to, to get right with God. And if you don't, judgment is coming by means of the Babylonians or by the Assyrians. And so Jeremiah and these other prophets, um, they, they called people to repentance and they warned of a coming judgment and a coming exile if they would not repent. And sadly, we know the story. They actually didn't repent. And so the promised chastening came. And so in two different waves, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they came and they conquered and they drug the people of Israel off to exile. And so they existed in exile. And that's like Daniel, that's Esther. Um, that's kind of that time frame. It's, it's Israelites living outside of Israel. And then in Ezra and Nehemiah, kind of the section that we're looking at now, we see that God is raising up leaders to bring the people out of exile and back to the promised land. Here's something incredibly fascinating, or at least it's fascinating to me. Did you know that the Old Testament, it begins and it ends with these exodus-type events? Now, the first exodus took place in a book called 
yes, yes, third service, yes. So the first exodus takes place where the people of Israel, the children of Israel, they're no longer in the promised land, but they're captives, they're exiled, they're enslaved by Pharaoh and the empire of the Egyptians. And then God raises up a leader, God calls a leader, and then brings the captives out of Israel and returns them to the promised land. And then we come to the end of the Old Testament, and we see that it happens again. That the people have been taken from the promised land, and now they're under the empire of the Assyrians or the Persians or the, the Babylonians. And then God raised up these, these leaders, this kind of team of leaders of Ezra, Zerubbabel, um, Nehemiah. And then they lead the people out of captivity, out of a foreign empire, and then bring them back to the promised land. So it's this wonderful bookend of the Old Testament. These two different exoduses. But did you know that the New Testament also is a story of exodus? That God doesn't call a leader from amongst us, but he sends us a rescuer and a redeemer. That the Son of God, that God the Son, Jesus Christ, is sent to us as one of us so that he can liberate us not from a worldly empire, but from the satanic realm of Satan and sin and death and eventual judgment and punishment forever. And so he takes us, and he is simultaneously the Passover lamb whose blood brings freedom. And he also is simultaneously the final and great leader who gives his law and calls us out of captivity and into a glorious new kingdom. So essentially, the story of the Bible is three different exoduses events, and they get better and better. And then we are those that have been rescued by Jesus, our great liberator, and are being brought towards the new heavens and the new earth. That's just a bonus thought. Now let's start our actual sermon. So um, chapter 11 is, it finds us in that second exodus. It finds us with Nehemiah and the guys they've brought the captives back to Israel. They've brought them to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is at this point just decimated. It's just uh, destroyed. Um, Nehemiah knows that the gates, they've been broken down, that the, the wooden, sorry, the gates have been burned with fire and the walls have been broken down. He says, it's a shameful, it's a disgrace. People look at it and they scoff. And Nehemiah says, that's just not right. That's the holy city. That's the city of our God. It needs to be secure. It needs to be safe. And so he prays, and he prays in the beginning of the book, God, would you let me go back there? Would you empower me? Would you strengthen my hands so that I can rebuild these walls? And then basically the story from chapter 1, verse 1, up until maybe this point, is, is the story of God answering that prayer, of helping him to go back and to rebuild those broken walls. And so in chapter 6, he rebuilds it. But then if we look at chapter 7, verse 4, we kind of get a glimpse of what the rebuilt city looked like. Is it up there? Yeah, it says that the city is wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. You know, perhaps it looked like you know, some of those, you know, those areas of Detroit, you know, where there's been the infrastructure has just failed and the people just, just leave. And, um, and, and perhaps it was like that. Um, there's a brand new wall, but inside there's just no houses and no people. 
And so that's chapter 7. He sees that. Chapter 8, 9, and 10, there is this just unprecedented and this remarkable act of revival and revitalization and spiritual renewal amongst the people. And so they open the book and they hear Bible teaching, they repent. And then now in chapter 11, we see that they're about to... Uh, not just have their head and their hearts changed, but their hands and their feet, they're going to get involved. They're going to do something about that. Um, there's no people that are living there. And with that in mind, we look at um, verses 1 and 2. The leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So don't get us wrong. It's not that it's completely empty. Some people lived there. The the leaders lived there. But they needed more. There needed to be this urban renewal. And so they invited people to, hey, why don't you come? Why don't you invest? Why don't you live uh, in this city? And so it seems like verse 2 says that there was this kind of lottery or casting of lots and, and people would have put their names forward to be considered is what it seems like. We see there's definitely a willing volunteerism or servant, uh, if you want to use the reliance uh, language, not volunteers, but servants. But anyway, they volunteered. This is Old Testament. <laughs> so they volunteered. They volunteered to go to move into this city. So for them, moving into a city, although it has safe walls, but it's been abandoned for like between 70 and 84 years. And so it's fallen into quite a bit of uh, disrepair. Um, Invariably, it was more work for them to get involved in what God is doing than for them to stay comfortably um, in their own old homes. Remember, they very likely would have had to build brand new homes once they get in there. But something was taking place, something that is noteworthy and something that they wanted to bless when they saw. People saw that their lives were meant to be lived, not necessarily based on what is the most comfortable, but what is the most fruitful. So they made sacrifices and choices in order to reestablish the ruined city of Jerusalem. But, But again, that's one of those like, you know, just evidence of the grace of God. Anytime anyone chooses, hmm, will I have a more comfortable life or will I have a more fruitful life? And so that decision was made. And it says people saw that decision and it says they, they blessed them. They're like, I see that and I'm so happy to see that. I bless you for choosing fruitfulness over comfort. And you can imagine the conversations that took place over, uh, you know, Jewish dining room tables, you know. Um, Honey, this hummus is amazing. Um, and you know what I was thinking? That's a transition. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? I was thinking that maybe you, me, and the kids, we should move into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, why would we want to do that? So we, we have a home here. You know, yeah, but I, was, I just was thinking, you know, it's, a, it's been so great, and there's been this great work that we've been doing to rebuild the walls, but there's nobody, there's nobody there. Well, yeah, like, well, someone else will move in there. But, but, sweetheart, I've been reading the Old Testament. The Testament. <laughs> I've been reading the Scriptures. You got that? It's like, I've been reading the Scriptures, and, and I see that the city of Jerusalem, it's actually quite important. 
You know, that, that God is going to send a Messiah. And, you know, Zechariah 9 speaks about how he's going to come into Jerusalem. And, and then he'd rattle off all these other passages. He has more time than I do. So he, he's able to build this whole case about, you know, God, that, that, that Jerusalem is not just any other city but that it plays a part and that all the cities of the earth will be blessed because of the Messiah who's going to come to that city and say, well, sweetheart, wouldn't you like to be involved in the rebuilding and the reestablishing of that city? You know, maybe he'll come in our generation. Maybe we'll see him. Well, maybe he won't. Yeah, but maybe we'll be doing something for future generations. Maybe we'll never see the fruit of our work and our labor, but, but I think fruitfulness is more important than comfort right now. Okay. And they, they'd call the realtor, they'd put up a sign, and then they'd, they'd sell and they'd refinance and then they'd move into Jerusalem. And so less comfortable, but more fruitful for their generation and then also for generations to come. I, I, I've heard this before, you know, because Pastor Ted talks a lot about how some of you choose to, to book your holidays around, um, you know, VBS so that you can serve. That's not comfortable, but that's fruitful. That's wonderful. I see that, and I, I, I want to bless that. That's so good. That, that's one of many ways that we can do these. Um, he, here's some other ways. Um, as, as, Ted, as Pastor Ted mentioned, PT, as PT mentioned, um, yeah, earlier uh, last week, uh, myself and him, we both were involved in this um, kind of training weekend called the Expositors Collective. Um, the purpose of it is to take, you know, guys— um, from the age of 18 to 34, um, and, and help them to teach and preach the Bible in a way that's faithful to the text, but also is powerful and memorable, and that's inspiring. And, and so that's just something that I just think is so important for, for this generation and for the generations to come um, as well. And so um, Ted and I, you know, we both got to stand in front of everybody and give these big, you know, TED Talks. Well, actually, every talk is a TED Talk, but <laughs> we got to give these kind of like, you know, public seminars, you know, and, and, and that was fantastic. But what actually inspires me a whole lot is an aspect of our weekend was there was maybe, I think, five or six main keynote addresses, but there also was 18 experienced preachers, older ones, who came and they didn't give any keynote addresses. They didn't have anything recorded. They never got to stand under the, the hot lights. Um, what they did is they were assigned groups of five or six uh, young preachers and just mentor them and work with them and do the behind-the-scenes, non-glamorous work. But they say, you know what? This is going to be fruitful for this generation and for the coming generations. And the thing is, we didn't pay any of them. <laughs> None of them were paid. Their flight, people flew from Baltimore. People flew from Colorado. And, and it was all on their own dime. But they say, you know what? This is an, an investment. This is worth it. I'm sure they could think of other things to do with their weekends and with their own money. But they say, I want to invest in future fruitfulness and future Bible teaching. So that's kind of a great example of, of what I encountered last week. Um, other, another example, when I think back to the early years of Calvary Cork, the church that um, I get to pastor, you know, in those, those early years, it was grim. Uh, you know, we just basically restarted as this home Bible study. Um, I lived in a very small house. We had a very small um, sitting room, and we'd have very small Bible studies. 
Um, my wife would be upstairs with my, my son some, most of the times, and I'd be downstairs just, you know, going verse by verse through the minor prophets. Because I had just got a Bible college degree, and I was like, all right, let me tell you a thing or two about the minor prophets. And, and bless the hearts of those people that came, and sometimes it'd just be so... Um, yeah, we just have just a few people coming. I remember one evening uh, when two people came, and that was, that was church. And two people came to listen to Mike talk about Amos and, and wave his little finger at them. <laughs> and uh, I remember there's the, the three of us sitting downstairs, and then, you know, somebody had to, to get up and, and use the restroom. And then it was just me and one other person. And I'm like, okay, so... Uh, do you, want, do you want to stop or do you want to wait? And the guy, just, just keep on going, man. Like, okay, okay. And I just kept on going. Anyway, that's kind of a glimpse into like the early glamorous years of church planting in Ireland. But I, but I think of these, these people, and they, they came along. They, they certainly, we didn't have like the greatest worship. Certainly, we didn't have, um, you know, services uh, to offer. There was very little value that we had to offer apart from God's word and God's spirit. And there's people and they just said, you know what? I, I see what's going on there. Like that poor guy needs some help. <laughs> and and there, in those early years, we had no kids ministry because we had no kid apart from Owen. We had no men's ministry. We had no women's ministry. We had no college ministry. We didn't have community groups, no discipleship programs. We didn't have an addiction recovery ministry. Uh, but People just saw, and they're like, you know what, I want to get involved in that. I think that's good for the city of Cork, for this generation and for future generations. And, and we've reached this, this place of health now. And we have all these things now. And it's just this wonderful, I guess I'm so thankful for those, that in the very beginning, when we had very little to offer as a church, that they're like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit. I'm going to commit. And so those two examples, those are kind of very churchy examples. And, and I realize that. And I know that you guys care about church because... You're here, so thanks, guys, for coming. But I also realize this is a very small chunk of your week. Um, and so what I do just want to say that it's not just church-oriented. It's, it's those that would, um, any people that are interested in choosing less comfort but more fruitfulness. And then maybe to put, a, put legs on it, when we see a need, you know, and if it's, a, if it's a person, if it's a community, if it's somebody you know, that is lacking physical health or, or mental health or even emotional stability. And we say, you know what, I could, I could either roll my eyes and walk away or I could roll up my sleeves and get involved. That's that choice between comfort and fruitfulness. And, and you know what, I know that this group, I know that we are full of people here who roll up their sleeves and get involved. And I, I, let me just read to you verse 2. Let me, let me rephrase it, you know. The people blessed those that rolled up their sleeves. And so I just want to like speak, if I may, on behalf of God, <laughs> you are blessed. Blessed are you who roll up your sleeves. Anyone who chooses to leave a place of comfort, to willingly volunteer, to be involved in enriching and strengthening the purposes of God for weakened communities or weakened individuals, again, we bless you. And so God sees it, and remember, what's the big idea of this morning? It's that God does not forget the work of his people. So it's one thing to see, but then we could see things and then forget. But he sees it and he remembers. And so, and then this list, verse 3 all the way to verse 36, where we have Jediah and Joriab and Jachin and Sariah and Hilkai and Zadok and, and etc. Um, we have this list. And what a reminder that individuals remind 
individuals matter to God, even if they aren't upfront and famous. Uh, these, these people, you know, Shemaiah and uh, Athea, you know, they didn't start initiatives. Um, they weren't the ones that, that organized the building of the wall. It wasn't their idea, but they were happy to be involved. They were happy to go and to invest and to, to move their homes inside the wall. But God sees what they did, and God's pleased with it. And I, I think of our day and age when, hypothetically, um, fame is available to anyone. Because it's possible, you know, for you to turn on your webcam and uh, sit in your desk and uh, give a, a heartfelt rant about politics or whatever, and like, who knows, someone could like it, and then it, and then it goes viral, and you and your opinions are shared everywhere, or even your good deeds. I saw this um, on, on television yesterday or the day before. Maybe some of you saw it. Um, there was a Waffle House employee, and uh, I think she was like serving waffles to somebody, and then he was going to cut it, but because of like the condition of his hands that they were quite trembly, and so, you know, no big deal. She just, she dignified him and she leans over and she cuts up his, his waffles for him. And then while that's taking place, you know, someone's sitting there and someone is like, uh, you know, filming it and then um, uploads it and then it's heartwarming and then it, it goes viral. And I think I saw it on MSNBC or something. And everyone knows about Waffle Girl now. And then she won an award, and she was there saving up for college. And the local community college, the president comes and, and presents her with one of those giant oversized checks, you know, um, for it's like a, a scholarship to come. And so, but, but of course, let me just say what I think is obvious. <clears throat> it's good to serve people, even if you don't go viral doing it, right? Um, <laughs> The, their names are recorded, and of course, if we were to take the words of Jesus seriously, and I, I think that we should, and I think it's kind of one of the core values of reliance, right, to take the words of Jesus seriously, I think we also would believe that, that it's the sort of things that we do that don't get noticed that are more valuable in the heavenly realms. And, you know, maybe some of you have been to like a talent show or one of those fundraising events that have um, an applause meter. Have you seen those where someone does their thing and then you clap and then it's like, anyway, let me tell you some good news. In heaven, there's no applause meter. And in heaven, the currency of applause is actually so devalued. But but God says, you know, Hebrews 6.10 would say this, that essentially he remembers every labor done in love and nothing with him is forgotten. You know, Jesus says that whoever would give even a, a cup of water to one of his followers shall no means lose his reward. So, so on that note, it's just, just wonderful good news. These, these people, that they weren't upfront leaders. They didn't get the book named after them, but God sees and God knows, okay? And then chapter 12, kind of the second half of, although we're not going to spend as much time on it, but the second thought is that God does not forget the work of his people. And that second bit is that the people should not forget the work of their God. Um, chapter 12, believe it or not, it's another list of names, okay? So we got Zerubbabel and Shiltiel and Yeshua and Sariah and Jeremiah, etc. And we see this list. This is the list of the, the priests. And, uh, yeah. and so we jump down to verse 27. It says, At the dedication of the wall at Jerusalem, they sought the Levites, in all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness 
and thanksgiving and with singing and with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from all the areas around. Jump down to verse 31. And then Nehemiah says, And I brought from the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and I appointed two great choirs to give thanks. One went south, and then jump to verse 38, and the other went north. And again, we have the list of all the singers and all the musicians. And it says, and then we met together at the house of God. And so, so picture this. So the recently rebuilt walls are there, and they encircle Jerusalem. And then they start um, opposite, on the opposite end of the temple. And Jerusalem says, listen, I want everyone who can carry a tune. I want, I want the whole band. I want pianos. I want drums. I want that little keyboard thing with the, with the whistle. What's it called? I want the melodica. I want everything. And because we're going to have a big old, like, marching celebratory band. Like, if we got the Linfield High School marching band, you know, with the drums and the cymbals. He's like, I want this to be loud and celebratory because we have something worth celebrating. And so they all get together, not next to the wall, but on top of it. Remember, what was his prayer in the beginning? God, help me to build the wall. And then in chapter 2, we see that there was this criticism or there was this propaganda or this slander from the enemies of the, of the um, Israelites. And, and they, they said two things. They said, number one, Nehemiah, he can't do it. It's not worth it for you to invest in him because he's just a failure. He'll never build the wall in the first place. And even if he does, they say, it's going to be so shoddy. It's going to be so just like the cheapest Ikea version of a wall that it says even, no offense to Ikea, he says that even, this is an Ikea pulpit, isn't it? No. <laughs> the, it was that A, you can't do it, and B, even if you did, even if a fox were to jump on it, the whole thing would just crumble down like, like dominoes. And that was kind of the, the mock, or that was kind of the propaganda in the beginning of the building project. I think you guys know a thing or two about building projects, right? Um, and then, once it was completed, he says, listen, we're going to get the marching band together, and we're not going to go next to it. We're going to go on it. You said that a fox would knock it down. I have the biggest marching band ever. You know, look at me now. <laughs> and then they go there, and he's like, listen, so I want you to sing loud and sing proud. We're going to sing thankfully to God because he has answered our prayers. He has blessed the work of our hands just as we've been asking him to do. And so what they do is they divide into two. Ezra takes one half, Nehemiah takes the other, and they just go around in this circle. They, they quite literally, they encircle the city of Jerusalem. They march, and they sing, and they're loud. It says in verse 43, they rejoiced with great joy. The women and children rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So they just deliberately say, we don't want to take it for granted. We know this wasn't built based on merely our labor and merely just uh, Nehemiah's uh, intellectual abilities. We know that we asked God's help, and we know that we got it. So they deliberately stopped to thank God out loud and in public. You know, when I think about thankfulness, my mind often goes to Luke chapter 17. Um, we're not going to go there, but that's the story when Jesus um, encounters this group of 10 um, leprous individuals, people that had this skin disease that caused them to be isolated from their community. It was incurable. And at a word from Jesus, uh, they are made whole. They're cleansed. 
And then I think that, yeah, I love that, I love that painting that captures like the joy, the celebration. They're all giving each other high fives and, and none, no part of them is falling off as they do it. They're just like thrilled to be whole and healthy again. And, and then there's the, the person at the end and it's like, oh, let me go back and, and say thanks. And so they're celebrating, they're running off and he turns around and walks back. And finds Jesus or comes back to him. And, you know, I'm, I'm imagining this, but he says essentially something like, Jesus, what you've done has changed my life forever. And I just want to say thank you. I'll never be the same. Thank you, Jesus, for changing my life. No one else could have, but you did. Thank you. And that's kind of told, you know, in such a way that it's in, to encourage us in gratefulness and in, in gratitude, of course. And it's easy to, to pick on the other nine um, for not coming back and saying thankful, um, for saying thanks. And, you know, of course, I, I then think to myself and I wonder, well, what's my ratio? Like 10 to 1. Hopefully I'm a little bit better than a 10 to 1 ratio of life-changing miracles from Jesus and me saying thanks. I hope that it's a little bit better than that. But some of the reasons why it's not is that sometimes you know, we think, well, I kind of deserve it. Or, well, I worked hard for that. Or he blesses us so consistently that we're used to it and we expect it. But what we see in Nehemiah chapter 12, what we see in this marching band, what we see in this out loud, deliberate, celebratory time is them saying, we're not going to let this just pass by. We're not just going to... um, receive this blessing from God and not thank him for it. Like not one more project will get started, Nehemiah says, until we deliberately stop and say, thank you, Lord. So I want to ask you, like what, what would you circle? Let me, let me explain that a little bit. When something's important on a, on a sheet of paper, like, we, we circle it, don't, don't we? Think about a list or a grocery list, you know, and you want to make sure that your spouse doesn't forget the sriracha sauce, you know? So you write sriracha sauce, and then you circle it, you know? Like, don't you miss this, you know? Um, and, and so if it's important, you circle it. And that says, essentially, what's inside this circle is important. I'm highlighting what's inside this circle. Uh, in my Bible, I underline and I circle things as well. Are there any other circlers in here? Yeah, so you circle things, like well, most of you, third service, great. Um, so we circle things that, that are important and we want to highlight. Now, Nehemiah, what he says is like, we're going to circle Jerusalem. We're going to circle the wall. We're going to say, all that's within our circle, we say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. So I come back to my question. What would you put in your circle? What would you circle? What would you say, God, I've prayed and Lord, you answered that prayer. And I want to I I circle back. I want to come back and circle it and say, I thank you for, I thank you for this. I want to ask, you know, what, what has God done for you? What's a prayer that you've asked that God has answered? Also, follow-up question, what has God done in your family? What's a, a, a question or, sorry, a request or a prayer that you've offered to God for your family? And you know, it's, it's actually... He's actually granted that request. What about for your church, for Reliance? What have you been praying for, for this congregation? Uh, what are the things that you're seeing God begin to answer 
in this community at this time? Those are things for you to, to consciously think about. And I'm not asking a hypothetical question. In about five minutes' time, there's going to be a chance for you to answer that out loud, okay? I'm just warning you now. So be thinking, be thinking. Say, okay, what, what would I say out loud? What would I circle with my words and say, I'm, I'm actually thankful for, for this? It's great to be thankful in general, you know? But isn't it better to be thankful for specific things? And this morning's a time for you to express gratitude for specific things, okay? So be thinking, okay? I'm going to come back to you. The participatory time is coming in five minutes. So for me, um, I could list a lot of things, but I already, I already said this at my, at my intro, you know, like seven or eight months ago, like I got hit by a car. I almost died. Um, I, I was in hospital for a long time, couldn't move my legs. My head was messed up. I couldn't read. I could barely, sp- I could speak, but I couldn't speak clearly which is kind of a big deal for preachers, you know? That's kind of what I do. Um, and, and God has, you know, brought this, um, this recovery that I'm so thankful for. And people are really kind, and they ask, you know, frequently, you know, how are you doing, Mike? And um, was praying for you, and that's cool. And they say, well, how, how are you doing now? And what I, what, I, what I said a lot for the past few weeks, kind of my standard answer was, you know, doing pretty good. And I say, you know, I, I almost, I don't even think about the accident anymore. It's like, it's like this whole other life, and it doesn't even cross my mind because, you know, my elbow doesn't hurt that much anymore, and I'm not limpy, and I don't have a cane anymore. So, like, I barely think about that anymore. And that's good to speak about kind of that degree of recovery, but I think maybe wouldn't it be better to be like, you know what, I think about it all the time, and, and I never stop saying, thank you, God, for that. Every time I put on my socks and shoes and remember the times when others had to do that for me, I think, thank you, God. So I'm trying to, to come back and to circle things and to not let it just be something that, oh, yeah, well, that happened. Some people get lucky. But to say, you know, God, circle that. Say thank you for that. What are the things that you are thankful for? What are the prayers God's answered? And then here's something else, and don't miss this sentence, okay? What are the sufferings that you're currently going through, but you know that God is holding you fast through? I mean, it's great to hear stories about people that survive getting hit by cars, you know. Um, I love telling it, actually, because it's me. But, but I, I, sometimes when we highlight those types of things, we do so at the neglect of the other grace of God, the sustaining through suffering grace of God. And, and I know that there's suffering in this room. I know there's suffering in this room that would cause other people to throw in the towel and quit. But, but you're here and you're praising God, sometimes through tears. And, and that is something worth thanking God for. You could say, God, you have held me fast through this. You've given me sustaining grace through this. So that is something that we can circle as well. And so as we close, uh, two final little thoughts. I love how in chapter 11, the, the, the focus of that is kind of anonymity and quiet service in the background. You know, there's, there's people that just made choices with their lives and they didn't demand a big fanfare for it. They, they'll just quietly live where God calls them to live. So let's be those who serve God quietly. And then chapter 12 is they have something to thank God about, and they just will not shut up. <laughs> they are so loud that they're breaking noise ordinances. They're bothering the neighbors. They're so loud because God has done something. So let's be those that praise God loudly. What a good combination. Serve God quietly and praise God loudly. 
And so as we transition into a time where in about a minute and a half, I'm going to open it up for you and for we're going to just circle a few different things out loud so that we can thank God with you, okay? But in the minute and a half before then, I want to point you beyond Nehemiah, okay? I want to point you beyond these guys. As we just think about in chapter 11 about those people that volunteered to leave comfort and to engage deep for fruitfulness, doesn't that just remind you of of the ultimate volunteer, um, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had a comfortable home, an eternal home that never ceased to praise holy, 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 where there was no lack and no discomfort, but yet he volunteered to leave that, to come and to invest and to move into our neighborhood and to give it all up for us. And then also, as we think of this list of names, these people that are listed because of their volunteering, and and we think, isn't it great that chapter 11 and 12 exist, that there's a list of names? Do you know what, guys? There's a better list of names out there for your name to be included on. And do you know what, believer? It is. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And Jesus is the one who records our names and puts it in that book. And then as much as we think about how great it is that God, um, God does not forget the work of his people, but you know what? When it comes to the Lamb's book of life, it's not based on your works. It's based on God's grace and our faith. And, and I love what Jesus said to somebody where he says that he who believes in me shall live even though they die. It's that belief that God recognizes and places value on. And so, believer, you are put in the Lamb's book of life. And friend, if your name is not there, there's no deed that you could do, there's no move you could make to earn it. But by calling out to Christ in faith, he's ready. He's got that pen right there for the one that turns to him in faith. And your name can be added today on March 18th. And then, of course, Jesus is the one that we thank for his work for us. 